In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my guardian angel, intercede for The topic of this time of prayer is conclusion. <laughs> Addressed to the faithful remnant. Let's conclude with the conclusion of Jesus' public life. Now that he has taught the apostles how to follow him, let's dwell a little bit on these last words of Jesus and see how we can implement them. He's ready to leave definitively. His work is officially over when he, body and soul, leaves this earth. And we call this event the Ascension. And so these are our Lord's absolute last words. I guess the conversation was about the end times. When is the end of the world going to come? But the Lord says, listen, I don't want to go there. What I want to tell you is the following. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses. He didn't say teachers. He said witnesses. What does a witness do? Proves a point. A witness gives proof. In a court of law, an accusation or a defense is proven by witnesses because witnesses are self-evident truths. So Jesus says, you, you need to be my witness. Then speak the truth, but first be my witness. And the popes have been saying that, starting, I think, with Paul VI, he says that more than teachers, our culture needs witnesses. And if they're calling for teachers, you must be a witness before you teach. And this has been reiterated in some fashion by all the recent Roman pontiffs. Pope Francis says that we witness by leading with joy and mercy and affection, and tenderness. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem. That's where the faith began. And witness me in concentric circles. You shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, which is the province in which Jerusalem is located. And then the next province is mixture of Jew and Gentile called Samaria. And Samaria, and to the end of the earth. That's the mission. Our Lord says that you will receive power. 
it wasn't customary in that time, 2,000 years ago, to travel more than five, 10 miles away from your home. And it certainly wasn't customary, in fact, it was against their religion for a Jew to mingle with the Gentiles. And the charm of the Jewish people was an objective morality that was diametrically different than any other kind of law in Gentile territory. Sensitivity to the rights of the poor, the worker, the rights of the unborn as well, the sacredness of human sexuality. This is the Mosaic law. And so there's all sorts of human obstacles, modes of transportation, different cultures, different languages. And these are not all-stars by any stretch of the imagination. These are locals. And our Lord is saying, well, this is, this is the mission I'm giving you. I'm sure they had that reaction, I think a couple of Gospels ago, what are we among so many? We only have five loaves and two fish. Or, we've toiled all night and caught nothing. And so Jesus anticipates these sentiments and says that you need to be a certain kind of seed. He equates the mystery of the kingdom with the mystery of evangelization, of growth of the kingdom, with a seed. And in this case, he specifies the kind of seed, not the grain of wheat this time, but the mustard seed. He says, an evangelizer has to be like a mustard seed. The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed. But he likes seeds. Okay, and we're going to go through another parable of the seed if we get to it. Parable of the sower. He likes seeds. Why does he like seeds so much? Because in that seed is power, in the form of a genetic code, in the form of a DNA, there's power. Comparable to someone who is born with great athletic abilities, but it's on her, his or her genetic code. It's there. Now, you, know, you see that, you know, you see that. These professional athletes, whether they're Olympic athletes or hockey players, tennis players, whatever, you see that it's, it's much more than practice. It's much more than hard work. There's something there that has given them this great talent. Or if you rather have an academic example, someone's a math whiz. Well, why is he a math whiz? It's not because he just worked hard. It's because he's got that capacity on his genetic code. A tomato seed has tomatoes in its genetic code, in the seed. It's there, the tomatoes, the plant, the flowers, the growth, the size. It's right there in the seed. <coughs> a Mozart, even before he even touched a piano or looked at a musical note, already... There was this ability for exquisite music. It was there. 
But we're not like a robin. A robin doesn't have to go to robin school to fabricate a nest. You know, or, or maternity school to learn how to incubate robin's eggs. Okay. You know, or a goose has to go to flying school before he flies. Well, I got trained my dog to uh, run after a bone. No, you don't. If he's a dog, he's going to run after a bone. That, that's simple. But the human person, even though there's that talent on the DNA, to be a virtuoso musician or an athlete or an academician, we have to develop it. We have to work at it. That's the just like that's why he likes the seed. I mean, the seed needs to be planted, watered, incubated, radiated with light, then it grows. And so it, it needs to be in conditions to grow. And the seed grows on the inside. You don't add externally to the seed. The seed grows from within. And the seed needs soil, and our Lord is going to associate soil with free will. <coughs> and the seed needs light, that's the Holy Spirit, grace. Heat is another symbol of the Holy Spirit, grace. And water is another symbol of the Holy Spirit. If those four factors go together, that seed will grow. Now, Jesus likes the mustard seed. Well, I didn't occur to me, and you know, I think it was at Shelbourne giving a retreat, and I was with another priest, and we had the, you know, two kinds of mustard. We had brats, and you know, you had you know, pure yellow Goulden mustard, and then you had uh, some funky mustard with little tiny specks in it. And so I opted for the, the, the safer-looking mustard. And the other person said, well, you, you don't want the, uh, the biblical mustard? And I go, biblical? I don't, I don't know. I don't like all those little tiny specks. And he said, well, oh, yeah. He said, well, you should like the specs. I mean, it's, you know, it comes, those specs come right out of the gospel. I, you know, I need a lot of explaining. You know, I, I don't get jokes easily. So he said, well, that, those are mustard seeds, by the way. I go, boy, they're tiny. He said, well, that's the point. Yeah. That's why it's in the gospel. And so you can't look at those specs, those little tiny specs, and say, well, that's, out of that speck, you're going to get the biggest of all shrubs. <coughs> You're going to get a, a tree that will serve for birds to nestle on those trees and on those branches and, and, and create nests in those branches. It's going to be that big, that tree. When you look at that little tiny speck, that insignificant dot. And our Lord uses this because when we talk about evangelization, in every era, but especially now, and in his era too. 
I'm so insignificant in comparison to the mission. On, on many fronts, I mean, lack of ability, perhaps lack of holiness, lack of opportunity. When I go to these places, I love it, but it's they're glorified fantasy islands. Nice people praying, three square meals a day, chapel, certainly not what I'm used to at work, or my environment is so different than this. My beliefs clash with the culture. Virtually nobody agrees with me. Moral relativism is very much in fashion. And I'm not even talking about questing sanctity, I'm talking about just the Mosaic law. He doesn't agree. And so I'm the smallest of all seeds on many fronts. And notice that Jesus doesn't say the kingdom of heaven are like grains of mustard seed. You, me, need to take this responsibility of holiness. And he's, our Lord is basically saying, don't pass it off to somebody else. The kingdom of God is a grain of mustard. It's individuals. And again, the recent pontiffs have stressed the power of holiness and the power of the saints. The saints are the ones who renew the church. Those are the ones who are most responsible for transforming society. The saints, not documents, but it's the saints. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is the greatest of shrubs and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. We'll go back to the mustard seed if we have time. Because our Lord is going to say something else. Well, why don't I just say it now? About the mustard seed. And it, he says, the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith as a grain of mustard seed, you would say to the sycamine tree, be rooted up and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Hmm. It's the smallest of all seeds. What is this faith of the mustard seed? Does he mean tiny faith? No, no. What does the mustard seed do? It's the smallest of all seeds and becomes the biggest of trees. It keeps growing. He wants our holiness to keep growing. When it comes to love, there's no limit. i got to keep growing. St. Augustine says that if we say enough, we regress. I've got to keep growing in my love. And, uh, and, and, and tiny baby steps. I mean, an adventure in insanity would be watching a mustard seed grow. Well, I'm going to watch a mustard seed grow for the next two hours. Well, that's madness. It's imperceptible, but it does grow. The... driving point here 
is this point which is taken out of the gospel. Bear in mind my son or my daughter, you're not just a soul who has joined other souls in order to do a good thing. That's a lot, but it's still little. You are the apostle carrying out an imperative command of Christ. Follow me is all about fruitfulness. And our Lord instructs the apostles how to deal with the seed. I'm not going to read the whole parable. It's the parable of the sower. And I'm going to dwell on the, there's four categories. Jesus gives four responses to the seed. The seed is fine. I remember, a, again, great, good long-term memory again as a kid. I'm semi-city boy. And um, I thought I wouldn't get permission to plant a garden, so I did it on the sly, but not having much farming experience, I started to plant tomatoes and radishes. And uh, I dug probably a, a hole 10 inches deep and put the, the seeds in. Didn't want to get caught. <laughs> and so waited and waited and waited. Nothing happened. I got terribly frustrated. My age was definitely in the single digits. And I finally complained to my mother. These seeds are no good. She said, why do you say they're no good? She said, because I planted, I, I planted a garden. Why didn't you ask me? Because I was afraid you would say no. I said, How long, when did you plant the garden? Two weeks ago. Well, what did you do? I said, I dug some dig deep holes and I put the seeds in there. There's nothing wrong with the seed, there's something wrong with you. <laughs> he says, uh, you did it wrong. Not nothing wrong with the seed. The hole is too deep. So the same thing our Lord is saying that the seed works. What is that seed? I got a new DNA through baptism. This, what is the seed? It's the Word of God. The Word of God is the life of Christ. That's literally the Word of God. The Word of God the Father is Christ. So we all have that little seed in us. How do I make it grow in such a way that it bears fruit? What do I do so that that seed produces other seeds? That I attract people to Christ? What must I do? And it's not knocking on doors, it's not mass mailing, it's not speeches, it's within me and within you. Our Lord says the kingdom of God is within you. And I would say, and even if I don't get this, four categories, three don't work, one does. And at first, I hardly covered category one because I was always preaching to real nice people and I figured this would not be one of their choices. So I said, you know, there's other points that would be more apropos to my listeners. But I changed my mind. We are going to dwell on 
category one. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts that they may not believe and be saved. That's why I didn't cover it. I said, no, they're not going to leave the church. Yeah, I know we could all commit mortal sin, but, you know, with, with a modicum of goodwill, we'll get back to confession and start again. You know, let's not dwell on this point that does not correspond to these very good people. But I realized, well, this is our Lord's first example of a response. And usually when you want to make a point, the more important point you, you mention first. So this is the one possibility, and it's mentioned first. And I was trying to figure out why he mentioned it first. And then a light went on, especially when we turn the word belief not into... Because I thought, well, these people are not going to become apostates and heretics. I don't think. probably. You know, I don't want to be presumptuous, but I doubt it. But belief doesn't mean just that. Belief in the truest sense of the word means holiness. Holiness is what true belief means. Isn't that what belief means? I mean, if I, if I believe everything Jesus says, I'm going to embrace it and I'm going to try to live it. I mean, that's the, that's the ultimate belief. Until I do that, my belief is wanting. Okay, well, where does the, the evil one come in? Well, it just means a superior being. He's very intelligent. And I'll take the liberty to say that he probably realizes he's going to get nowhere by trying to, uh, trying to make us into apostates, where we just bag the whole faith and leave the church totally. I, don't, I think he's, that's not what he's trying to do. Uh, nor is he going to start cracking mirrors and sh making shrieking sounds at three in the morning. As one person said, you know, I think the devil's after me, and he wakes me up at three in the morning. And I said, uh-oh, the devil's after me too. I didn't know that. <laughs> uh, he's not going to, I don't think that's going to be our deal, or, you know, make rustling sounds outside when there's no wind, uh, you know. Uh, what he will do, though, what has he got to do? Well, he knows that we're talking about evangelization. We're not talking about just going to Mass on Sunday. We're not talking about night prayers. We're not talking about, well, you know, stay pro-life. Vote for candidates who embrace the moral law. He's not saying that. That's not. If we're saints, he knows we will win. He knows that. He knows that weapons of mass destruction of evil are in the form of prayer and the cross. He knows that. And it reminds me an idea of the founder of communism in the Soviet, former Soviet Union, Lenin. And he 
declared that he had very few fears. He wasn't afraid of anybody. That that system, that diabolical system was going to go forward. He said, but there's one kind of individual he was afraid of. A zealous Christian. He said, they're diametrically opposed to this regime, but they have that zeal that could undermine it. And he realizes that. And Paul, in the formation he gave to the first Christians, in Ephesus, the church in those olden days were, you know, we didn't have a parish center or a parochial school or church. The church was a moral entity. It was 60 people. They would have mass and prayer, Bible study. RCIA was, that's when it started then, in people's houses. The church was a moral entity. The church were the people, 100 people, 80 people, 50 people. And what does he tell them? He says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we are not contending against flesh and blood, but against the principalities, against the powers, against the world rulers of this present darkness, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore take the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, stand therefore having girded your loins with truth. I am the truth, that's Christ. And having put on the breastplate of righteousness, holiness, and having shod your feet with the equipment of the gospel of peace, that we walk along the paths of Christ, that we incarnate his words, but we need to pray about it and struggle. Above all, taking the shield of faith, holiness, which you can quench. Now, that's why he's going after you and going after me. Which you can quench all the flaming darts of the evil one if we take on the shield of faith. That's what Paul said. And the devil knows we, we, we'll win with sanctity. No question about it. And so what kind of temptation is there? Well, kind of simple. You've got a lot on your plate. Uh, you don't get much out of your prayer to begin with, so why bother? Um, you have a lot of uh, responsibilities at home, so you don't have time for prayer. Do the best you can. You, you know, get used to cutting corners. Well, that's not. Then it's no longer sanctity, and you know, even if we, oh, I. I now, it's kind of a little bit of a hit-and-miss spirituality. I get in when I can, on the fly, whatever. Okay, well, it's good enough not to evangelize. That's all he needs. That's all he needs is, is to just disarm us enough so that my love and my joy is average, or even a tad above average. But it's not good enough to 
attract the attention of awakening that question, what is the meaning of the hope that is within you? I remember... I'll remember that for my next meditation, because I, I just looked at my watch, and I'd never hit all the rest of the categories. And we'll just jump for 20 seconds to the category four. All right. And that is that for, and as for that in the good soil, the good soil is not the per se, the grace of God, the good soil is my response. The water, the heat, the light is the grace of God. And as for that, in the good soil, there are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart. And if I, I don't know what the Greek is, but the Latin Vulgate says, if I translate from the Latin, good heart is not precisely good heart. It's optime corde, which means the best heart. That's the, but doesn't, doesn't read well. So, in an honest and good heart, that honest and good heart is optime corde, the best heart. So i got to give my total heart. And bring forth fruit with patience. Mary, we close our prayer. We began with you. We end with you, thanking you for your intercession and the lights we've received from your Son. Help us have the faith and the magnanimity to believe in this first point in Forge. And we finish with this. We are children of God, bearers of the only flame that can light up the paths of the earth for souls, of the only brightness which can never be darkened, dimmed, or overshadowed. The Lord uses us as torches to make that light shine out. Much depends on us. If we respond, many people will remain in darkness no longer, but will walk instead along paths that lead to eternal life. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you've communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help in putting them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede.